continue in our series, Worship Plus Two, and so we're excited about that, and hopefully you've been enjoying that as we've gone along. This passage that we're looking at today is one of my favorites because it really helps us understand what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, and, and look at that, and as I was thinking about that, I recalled an illustration in my life, and um, we had a a basement issue. There was a crack that developed in our foundation, and so that crack began to seep fluid into the house. Never a good thing. You know, you build a house to keep that out, right? And so, um, as it would be, that wall got destroyed, and so I needed to tear out the wall in order to get to the place where they'd be able to fix. So it was demolition time, which is like every guy's dream, right? Let's demolish something. And and so, you know, we we go at it and and I begin tearing things out and, and come to a place where there's one particular board that has determined that it's going to be particularly stubborn and is going to need some extra attention. Perhaps you know what I mean if you've ever tried to move something that just won't be moved. And and so I tried all different ways to do that that seemed reasonable, and then in my mind determined that the absolute best way to do this would be for me to go ahead and grab a hold of that thing with this hand, and then take this hand and grab the biggest hammer that I could hold in one hand and just wail on that thing, right? It was time. And so my body thought about it, figured it out, and said, yeah, this is the way to go. And so away we went, and wham! And the expected outcome was not quite what we thought because the thumb got right in the way of that hammer and that board. Oh, man! And being a pastor, I said, thank you, Jesus! (laughs) Oh, And at that moment in time, every cell in my body was keenly aware of what had just happened to that thumb, right? And so thank you, Jesus, that you allowed me to have an illustration to use on September 27th or whatever day this is. But as we look at it and realize that, we're part of the body of Christ. The body of Christ. And we hear that, and, and what I love about Paul is the way that he writes and the things that he gives us. It gives us an opportunity and a chance to be able to actually have real-life illustrations that help us understand what it is that he's trying to teach to us. And we've been looking at this idea of worship plus two, worship, growing, and serving. And we've, we've looked at this by the very first thing that needs to happen is we have to come to a place where we're worshiping Almighty God, where our hearts and our minds are given over to worshiping of God. And when we get into the presence of God and we begin to worship him and truly see him and, and begin to, to worship him, we realize we want to be more like him. We want to be even more like him so that we can get even closer to who he is. And so that motivates us to begin to grow in who we are and and in our relationship with him. And then as we begin to grow, we begin to see the world and people the way he sees them. And we begin to look out. We begin to look for places and ways that we can serve. And so it's not that we grow and serve so that we can somehow worship. Rather, it's the fact that because we worship, we're moved to grow and serve. And so we've been looking at this together in Romans chapter 12, and we've looked at the idea of what it means to to grow and what it means to serve, but more what it means to worship. 
And as we continue looking at what it means to serve, we're looking at what it means to celebrate unity in diversity. What does it mean to celebrate unity in diversity? And last week, we looked at the fact that 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 celebration of unity and diversity comes as we have a healthy view of who we are. This week, we're going to see that that happens, that our unity is strengthened by a healthy view of others. So as we begin to have a healthy view of ourselves, then we can begin to have a healthy view of others. And that's what happens as we look at what it means to be part of the body of Christ. Now, all of this, you see, is part of what it means to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. We offer ourselves as living sacrifices as we seek not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so part of the way we're transformed is by studying Scripture and those kinds of things. But the other way we're transformed is in how we view other people. Now, Paul, in, the, in his letter to the church in Corinth, the first one says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past, and behold, the new has come. So there's this new understanding, and we've looked at this as being that transformation that happens when we trust Christ as our Savior. But notice what Paul says happens here. He says, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. See, we have a healthy view of others. Prior to that moment in time when you trust Christ as your Savior, Prior to that time when you realize that you're desperately in need of forgiveness from God, that that the things that you've done that are non-pleasing to him, sin, have separated you from him so that you believe that you're in control of your own life and that God has no role in that. Prior to that moment in time when God reveals that to you and you turn to him in repentance and you ask God to forgive you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, once that happens, you become a new creation. In other words, instead of standing before God in sin, you stand before God in righteousness. Instead of standing before God with the sin of Adam credited to your account, you stand before God with the righteousness of Jesus Christ credited to your account. You're new, but your thought process begins to change too. And when that happens, you stop seeing people according to this world. You begin to see that every person you meet is a person who bears the image of God. You begin to see that every person you meet not only bears the image of God, but they bear the image of God and they are eternal beings. Every person you meet will live forever. Some with God in heaven because of repentance and forgiveness, but most apart from God forever. But they will live forever. And when you come to an understanding of who God is, when you become a follower of Jesus, you begin to see people differently. 
and you regard them not according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. See, before you come to know Christ, you, maybe you've heard people say, oh yeah, Jesus, he was a good teacher, or he was a good man, or he was a good prophet. And yes, he was a good man, but he was so much more. He was fully man and fully God. And so we regard Jesus not according to the world. And so as we're going to see, to begin to have a healthy view of others is to see them not according to the flesh, but according to the way that God sees them as image bearers of himself. So our unity is strengthened by a healthy view of others in Christ. Now, first of all, our view changes of everyone once we're in Christ. But then our view of others in Christ changes because we begin to see others in Christ, those who are part of the church, in a different way. The first thing we see is in these verses we're looking at today is that we are one body. We are one body. And we see that in our verses. It says, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So there's this idea of, of this body that we're all one part of. Now, Paul uses the analogy of the body several times in the letters that he writes. He uses it in Romans and Corinthians and Ephesians and Colossians. And so we see that for Paul, this is an incredible part of how he understands the church working. In some, part, in some of the passages, he looks at this one body with the head being Christ. And so we know that's what he has in view. But in the passage we're looking at today, these two verses, as well as the passage that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in both of those, he's not talking so much about Christ being the head of the church as he is about the, the church being the body that's united, the body that's one, and what that means for how the church moves forward with the mission that God has given us. So as we look at that, we see that we have one body. It's the body of Christ. And as such, it means that we belong to him. We belong to Christ because we are that one body. Remember when Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he said, why do you persecute me? It's the body of Christ as every believer. In Ephesians, Paul talks about this. Now, what are the things that make us one body. What does that look like? Well, Paul says there is one body. Now, in the, in the letter to the church in Ephesus, as Paul writes this letter, he's writing to a church that is experiencing the angst that comes from the Jewish people becoming one with the Gentiles. Okay, because you understand in Scripture, there are two peoples. There are the Jewish people, and there are all the other nations, Okay, and so there's the descendants of Shem from Noah, and then there's all the other nations. And you'll see that so many times, especially expressed in the Old Testament. And God has a plan for that, and it's an unfolding of salvation history, redemptive history. And we don't have time to look at that today. We've done it before. But in the 
unfolding of redemptive history as Christ the Messiah comes, Yeshua, the promised one, the anointed one. As he comes, he makes it possible for these two groups to become one, unheard of. There was no way that anybody could imagine that Gentiles and Jews could be one. There there was just no way that anybody could fathom that. But in Christ, that happens. Because the righteousness that is needed to stand in in a right place before God is found only in Jesus for a Jew or for a Gentile. But even more than that, they became one body. And so as Paul uses this illustration, at that point in time, everybody would have gone, amazing. But for us, it expands even farther. Because now we're talking, because of the time that has passed and the globalization and all of these things, we're talking about there's one body that's made up of every person who has ever trusted Christ as their Savior. Every follower of Jesus. It's made up of every one of those people. Not just here, not just at Calvary. So as we're looking at this passage, we're not talking, this isn't a message for Calvary, it is, but it's so much more. Because it's talking about all the churches in Walworth County who are preaching Christ. And you understand, not everybody who goes to church is part of the church. You understand that? I think it was Keith Green who used to say, just because you walk into a McDonald's, it doesn't make you a hamburger. And just because you walk into a church, it doesn't mean that you are one of the church. See, to be a part of the church, capital C, those who've been called by God, requires that you be born again, that you be made new. And every person who has been, whether they're here, whether they're in, in a different state, in a different country, in a different time zone, in a different time period, All of those people are part of the body of Christ. One body. It's one body because there's one spirit. One spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit regenerates each one of those people. See Titus 3. And and so regeneration comes from the Holy Spirit, that one spirit. So if you're part of that body, it's because of the one spirit that unites all of us. And one hope, one hope, we sang about that in the song right before the message. There's one hope, and that hope is in our eternal security that's found in Christ and sealed by the Holy Spirit. So there's one Spirit, but there's one Lord, and this Lord refers to Jesus There's one Savior that we have, one Lord. Every one of us who've come to a saving knowledge, one Christ. We have that in common. One faith. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's that faith and that faith alone. There's only one faith. There's one baptism. Now, this baptism, at the time that this was written, the conversion process, the process of coming to a saving knowledge of Christ, so much of it was all done together. I mean, when someone came to know the Lord, they were like, where's the water? And they were immediately baptized because it was an outward sign of what had happened inwardly. The baptism that's being spoken of here is this baptism into the body of Christ, an immersion, baptism, immersion 
into the body of Christ. And so that moment that you trust him, you've been immersed into that body. All of us have who know him, one God and Father. So here's all of the things that make us one, that make us one body. And this is why Paul is able to say, you are one body. So that becomes very significant and very important for us. Now, not so much here, because we understand everybody parked in the same parking place, and everybody came in the same doors, and everybody's sitting in the same room or watching online. So there's a, an understanding of that here. But there's a one-body aspect to this that expands beyond that. Yesterday, I had opportunity to watch the prayer walk 2020 in Washington, D.C. I don't know if any of you had a chance to watch any of that, but it was significant. And it was significant to see the shot um, looking over the, the mall the, where the Washington Monument is and to see the thousands of people who were there to pray. One body. Thousands of people, different Every one of them different, every one of them distinct, every one of them unique, diverse. See, that's the beautiful thing about the body of Christ is it's diverse, but it's one. So we are one body, and as we look at the idea of what it means to have our unity strengthened by a healthy view of others, we need to realize that there's one body. And we belong, all of us, to Christ. The second thing we see is that there are many parts. We're one body, but there are many parts. And that's what we, what we see. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So it's this idea for as or just as, so we are so also. So just the same as, as I have one body with many members, so also the body of Christ is one body that has many members. So there's many members within this body, and we understand that and we get that. But what do we do with the whole diversity thing? What do we do with the fact that we're not all the same? We have a great pastors group that meets together here in Walworth County, and I love that. We get together and we, we pray and, 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 and share with each other, and it, it's great. And, and the thing that unites us is the truth of the gospel. But a lot of those people are different than me. They're all glad they are. They're different they pray different than I do, right? They, you know, sometimes we look at Scripture together and they see it differently than I do. And they don't understand it the same way as I do. And they, and they, and they say things that are different than the way I say them. And so I work really hard to get them to say everything exactly the way I do, right? We do that, don't we? But what this passage and the passage that we're going to look at right now in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, what those help us realize is that there's a diversity that is absolutely necessary within the body of Christ. 
And it's that uniqueness of our design that allows us to discover the function that we have. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this won't be on the screen for us, so you can find it in your copy of God's Word or in your app, however you do that. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and as I said, this passage is very similar to the passage in Romans because in both passages, Paul's talking about how this unites us as one body. Now in the church to Corinth, he's writing to them because there's some problems going on, okay? In the church in Corinth, people are wanting to do the same thing that other people do. Like, ooh, that's really cool what you're doing. I want to do that. As a matter of fact, everybody should do that. And so there's this whole thing going on where they're, they're just really experiencing a lot of angst because they're not celebrating who they've been designed to be. And so Paul writes to them. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to start in verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there would be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now I love this and I remember being a kid and just being all sorts of imagination would hit into my mind when that passage was read. You know, and I would never hear anything that the pastor said after that because I'm trying to imagine what a body looks like that's just an eye. Then Monsters, Inc. came along and solved the problem, right? But as we look at that and see it, Paul does such a beautiful job of helping us see that, that the body is made up of many parts. There's a diversity to the body. No two parts are the same. We each have a function, and it's not the same function. Now that word function is the same word that's translated acts of the apostles. Okay, so that word acts, so it's, it's what we do. And so there's this idea of functioning that each one of us as a member has within the body. And it's not the same. It's diverse. It's different. And, and as we think of that, and we think of all these different things that, that we're given to do, and the things that are to happen, you have been designed by God, and rescued and brought into 
the fellowship of the church for a purpose. God has a function for you, and it's unique to you. It's not my function. It's, it's your function. And, and each one of us have been created for that. And God has been shaping you in the midst of your life. As you continue through your life, God, knowing your function within the body, has things happen to your life. I've said before, what happens to me is less important than how I handle what happens to me. And listen, as the things come into my life, if I see those as God working in my life to shape me and form me and draw me into the man that he's designing me to be so that I can do what he has called me to do within the body of Christ as we're on mission for him, I can embrace the function that I've been given. So, what is it for you? What is the function that God has created you and rescued you for? What is the thing that you have that you can offer as a sacrifice to God? Now, the church in Corinth was having trouble because some of the people didn't have these outward gifts, these sign gifts, and we'll be talking about gifts next week, so I don't want to get into that too much, but this, this idea of there were some really glitzy things that people could be doing, and then there were these people who couldn't do the glitzy things, but all they wanted to do was the glitzy things. And maybe that's you. Maybe you've wondered why you can't do whatever it is somebody else is doing. It's because God has created you to do what only you can do through him. And Paul talks about this and he says, listen, there's parts, there's parts of your body that you treat with special modesty. And there's parts of your body that you, speak, you, you treat with special honor. Even though maybe everybody doesn't see those parts. And it's the same within the body of Christ. See, what is God calling you to do? And this isn't, listen, this is not about, all right, who's going to serve in the nursery? All right, who's going to, you know, that's not what this is about. There's a sign-up sheet in the back, catch it on your way out. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the body of Christ. Okay, and the body of Christ is bigger than Calvary. Now, Calvary's part of it, but it's bigger than Calvary. And you have a function within the body of Christ. And if you don't perform the function that you have within the body of Christ, the body suffers. If my thumb had not been there, I don't know what the analogy is. So, what is it for you? Right? Are you to be teaching? Is, is that your role? Are, are you to be teaching? Are, are, are you to be preaching? Are you to be, are you to be involved in the children's ministry? Are you to be driving the bus for somebody? Are you to be, listen, are you to be teaching in the school system? Are you to be keeping our roads safe? Are, are you to be a mom of homeschool kids? Are you to be interpreting so that people who couldn't hear otherwise have the world open to them? Are you to be leading a prayer group? What, 
What is your function within the body of Christ? Because there's a significant role for each one of us. Oh yeah, there's many members. Do you know there's not one member within the body of Christ that is not needed? Do you get that? Have you thought maybe my role isn't needed? It is. It's needed in the body of Christ because we are many members. The last verse of that passage in, in, in 1 Corinthians says, now that you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And see, that's something that we, we understand. You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you need to be individually a believer in Jesus Christ. You're not, you're not all of a sudden a believer because you hang around with other believers. So there's an individuality to it. But as Paul develops this in the church in Rome, and as he sends the letter there, he says, listen, our unity is strengthened by a healthy view of others in Christ. We're one body, we're many parts. We belong to Jesus, but we belong to each other. Now this is huge, and this is where it really begins to get exciting. Okay, so hold on, here we go. See, we are individually members one of another. There's an interdependence that we have been designed for. We are interdependent on each other. We are not independent of each other. We're interdependent on each other. We belong to each other. We need each other. And, and we are part of each other. That's what community means, koinonia. It means that we come together and we're all part of one as we're under the head of our Lord Jesus Christ, yes, but the body is functioning and it's functioning together in interdependence. As my body made the decision of how to go against that stubborn board, the, the entire body made the decision and the entire body dealt with the consequence that came afterwards. There was an interdependence that happened. And it wasn't that that happened and that thumb got hit and it's like, well, you're out of here. Still here. And so that's this interdependence that allows us to be... See, if I form a fam club the Chuck Cervenka fan club, and there's only one member, it's not a club. Because you can't be a member of nothing. And so there's this idea where we are members. But in Romans 12, we are one body, many members, not the same function, though many, we're one body in Christ, individually members one of another. Now that's huge. When you go through the epistles... There's over 50 times where the one another's are spoken about. Love one another, forgive one another, carry one another's burdens, um, you know, honor one another, show hospitality to one another. It's a wonderful study to do. Just type in one another in your Google search engine in, in quotation marks and, and, and go into it and see what this means that we are individually members one of another. One verse that makes this clear is in Ephesians 4.25. And again, we're talking about this this joining of Jew and Gentile. But Paul says, therefore, having put away falsehood, and in chapter 4 of Ephesians, 
It talks about the idea that we've been swept away by the sin of the world, but that we've been rescued from that. And since we've been rescued from the sin of the world, we put away falsehood and we speak the truth with each other, for we are members one of another. Members one of another. Now again, this is just a beautiful example of what it means to not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Okay, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds means to have a a whole different understanding of what it means to be part of the body of Christ. Kay Swakowski, in in her wonderful little book, Make Yourself at Home, and it talks about a lot of the one another's in here, but she gives a story in her chapter on loving one another that I think is, is so powerful, I'd just like to read it for you. A woman gathers books like, like some people gather friends. Her personal library of classics, dog-eared used volumes, and recent releases number over a thousand. During the first years of her Christian walk, Jennifer's intellectual bent drove her to hunger and thirst for truth. She drank in the words of every sermon. She marinated in personal Bible study. Her devotion was slowly steeped in deep conversations with a few faithful friends. In the study of God's word, Jennifer's ravenous soul found nourishment. Her intellect was simultaneously challenged and satisfied. However, the idea of Christian fellowship escaped the scholarly, sometimes shy new believer. Real live church people were secondary to the fascinating folks she found in her Bible and history books. Jennifer's passion was to learn all she could about theology and living the Christian life. She was pleased to add new friends to her collection from time to time, a new commentary or a secondhand devotional with yellowing pages. But Jennifer was reluctant to get too close to other Christians. One Sunday morning, she took her usual spot at the back of the sanctuary. No offense. One Sunday morning, she took her usual spot at the back of the sanctuary. From this safe place, she could enjoy the music and relish the truths expounded on by the pastor. She could also swiftly dodge handshakers and huggers at the end of the service. Jennifer came to church for one reason and one reason only, to learn the Bible. Studying the rows of head lined up before her, some balding, some graying, some ponytail, she quizzed the Lord about her fellow Christians. Wouldn't it be enough for her to just learn God's word? Wasn't it good enough that she spent time with Jesus? What purpose could these people serve in her life? Sweeping her hand across the breadth of the room, she demanded, Lord, what are they for? He whispered to her heart to love on. That wasn't the answer she expected. It was not the answer she wanted. But it was the answer that forever changed her view of Christianity and her life. As this dimension of of the Christian journey dawned on her spirit, her heart began to soften. Developing a relationship with believers wasn't about what she could obtain from them. It was about what she could offer. See, we've talked about this before. Our world and our culture has caused us to believe that our main role is to be a consumer. That's a lie. Our main role is to be a contributor. 
We are to be contributors. And the reason we come together, the reason you're all here, is so that we can contribute into each other's lives. See, you have a function, and some of you don't believe that. Some of you don't believe you have a function that matters. And what you need is another part of the body coming into your life and saying, you know, when you sent me that note, it was such an encouragement to me. I bet you do that for a lot of people. Do you know how important that is? I see when you do this, your eyes light up, and it makes a big difference in the body of Christ. See, as you begin to see that your reason to come here is not just so you can take whatever you can from the experience, it's, it's so that you can bring who you are into the experience. And it's so that we can mutually benefit from being in each other's presence. It doesn't mean we don't gain from being together, but our ultimate goal is to pour into each other. And that's what happens. See, that's what's so amazing about this body of Christ being global and being universal is that I remember the first time we went to the Czech Republic and I met those people and I couldn't understand a word they were saying. But we were one and we encouraged each other and God moved in power and people were saved. Hours before Jesus was crucified, just hours before he was crucified, he said to his disciples, a new commandment I give you, that you must love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you also you must love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What do you think Jesus was trying to say to his disciples? Anybody? Do you realize how important this is? And the reason we need to love one another is because there's a function that each one of us has and it's not the same function. It's different for each one of us and as we love one another, I don't need you to do my thing. And I don't need to be doing your thing. See, it's not about how he's not doing his job so I'll do it. It's, that's not what it's about. It's not a competition. I believe it's true that in the world we live in, many people view church as a cruise ship. And God views church as a battleship. See, we're in a battle. We're in, we're in a, a huge battle. And we've been flowing through this battle on a cruise ship. And we think if we move the deck chairs that somehow that's going to make a difference. But listen, what we're talking about is on a battleship, everybody has a function and everybody has a role. And I know my life depends on that person doing what he's called to do. Our life depends on each one of us doing what we're called to do. As we, as we begin to see that this, this ship that we're on, this amazing body of Christ, is, he has entrusted us with a mission. And that mission is to go into all the world and do battle against the evil and against the world that has been defiled. And we're not to be going in alone. We're to be going in together, each one of us, fulfilling the role that God has for us. 
encouraging each other along the way and having that camaraderie and that community that has been designed for. So what? I do my part in the body. And how can I help others see their great importance in the body? Could I ask you to just take one minute here and, and in your notes, jot down, what's your function? What, what is it that God has uniquely positioned you to do? Do you know what it is? Jot it down. Then take a minute. Do you know somebody else in the church? This church, the church. Do you know somebody who's got something and they don't realize it, and they need you to say to them, this is your function. God, I thank you. I thank you that we are one body. How amazing is that? Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the sacrifice you made so that we could be saved, so that we could be born again, so that we could be born again into your body. And God, thank you for the fact that you've made each one of us unique and special, each one of us with a special role within the body. Thank you for that, Lord. Draw us together in a new awareness of what it means to serve each other as we worship you together, as we grow in our knowledge of who you are, that we would serve one another as we serve together in the mission that you've entrusted to us to know you so well that no matter what we do, we're going out and making you known. For your glory and in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. May I please ask you to stand and hear God's good word for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Oh, I love you. I am so glad we're part of one body. And I release you to a week of worship, work, and witness. God bless.